0: Lord, indeed, you are worthy to be praised. And God, we acknowledge today that we need you in a new and fresh way. And so we continue to invite you to just have your way in this place, oh God. God, thank you for every song that's been sung, every bit of scripture that's been read, for every prayer that's already been lifted up. And God, we ask now that in these moments of preaching that you might speak clearly through me in such a way that your children will know without a doubt that you are here and with them and for them. So God, we trust you. And we want to grow in that trust even now. So have your way in this place. It's in the perfect name of your Son, Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Good morning, Sanctuary. Uh, My name is Edrin. I'm one of the associate pastors here at the Sanctuary, and it really is an honor and a privilege to be able to share with you in this way today. Um, Today is a day that we've had quite some time to prepare for, uh, but it still feels a bit surreal um, that we're gathering here today, in an attempt to keep moving forward without Pastor Dennis and Susan giving us leadership. And it's a feeling that I don't know will go away quickly or ever. And that's okay, because at the core of what we might be feeling right now is really a feeling of deep, deep gratitude for the way that they have led us over the last six years. And so we thank God for them and their leadership. And I don't know if they will ever hear this message, if they will hear it in the coming days or at some point in the future or ever. Um, But I would ask this morning that you would just indulge me one more time and put your hands together and help me thank Pastor Dennis and Susan for the way they have led our church over the last six years. We are this morning kicking off a new series that we're calling "Threshold." The idea of a threshold is a point, a season, a marker that once passed through leads to meaningful change. A threshold can be understood as the perfect point of in between. The Latin word for threshold is lemon, L i m e n. And it represents, it paints a picture of that space where everything is actually happening, yet nothing appears to be happening. Threshold is that an intermediate space between two different seasons. And threshold seasons can be a bit discombobulating. You ask yourself all sorts of questions related to your own self-preservation in threshold seasons. Am I going to make it? Am I in or am I out? Am I coming or am I going? Am I gaining ground or am I somehow losing ground in this season? A threshold season is somewhere, as we would say it in South Carolina, between back yonder and over there. The threshold season is, as we might say in church, the season of where I'm not what I want to be, but I thank God I'm not what I used to be. The threshold season, as theologians would call it, is a season of already, but not quite yet. That is the kind of season that we are in. And this threshold season of being betwixt and between can be emotional for many people it can be uncomfortable for us. It can be downright confusing for us. But at the very same time, if we're careful and if we would allow God into this moment, these kinds of threshold moments can be powerful. They can be formational. They can be liberating and they can be even sacred. And so over the next several weeks, you will hear from the pastoral team as we offer wisdom for this threshold season. One of the privileges that we have as the people of God is that we get to come together and sit together under God's word and find insight for this life. Pastor Dennis would often remind us of this. In fact, he did it just a few weeks ago from 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, where he tells us uh, all scripture comes from God and is useful for showing us truth, for exposing our rebellions, for correcting our mistakes, and for training us to live God's way. And so today... As brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the opportunity to come together and look at a crucial season in the life of a man named Jonah. And right here at the beginning, I want to give you our big idea, the main thing, the one thing I want you to walk away from this message with, simply this, to trust is to follow. To trust God is to follow God we cannot say we trust God and fight God at the same time. To trust God is to follow where God is leading us in this season and in every season to come. Today's message is a not-so-subtle encouragement for us as individuals and as a church family, and that encouragement is simply this. When we find ourselves in moments of change or transition, these threshold moments, the encouragement is to trust in both God's presence and in God's faithfulness towards us. This is relevant because regardless of who you are today, change brings with it a measure of loss, Whether you planned that change or whether you stumbled upon that change, when we experience change, it brings with it, on some level, a sense of loss. And then depending on how you grew up, your life experiences, your natural disposition and personality, that sense of loss can be multiplied over and over and over. There are many of us in this room who absolutely hate change. we're not just churchgoers. We have whole lives. And so I I, I believe this message today is is wisdom and it's transferable to the other areas of our lives as well. Perhaps you're here today, brothers and sisters, and you have a child who's heading off to college in a couple weeks. If that's you, my brother, my sister, you are in a threshold moment. Perhaps you're here today and you recently lost a loved one. Or you recently ended a long relationship. If that's you today, my brother, my sister, you are in a threshold moment. Perhaps you are in the midst of treatment for a medical condition and you're waiting to see what will come of that treatment. If that's you, my brother, my sister, you are in a threshold moment. Maybe it's a job change or a financial situation that you did not see coming. Regardless of what you're going through today, brothers and sisters, regardless of your personal appetite for change, I want to encourage you that as you face your own threshold moment and as we face our collective threshold moment to trust both in God's presence and in God's faithfulness. Because trusting means following. The book of Jonah is where we'll be today. And I want to thank our Mosaic youth for reading our scripture into our reading. Uh, This book begins in a strange way. We're just introduced to this guy, Jonah, and we're not giving a ton of biographical information. It tells us that God comes to Jonah and calls him to go to Nineveh. And all the background we get is that his father's name is Amittai. And so we go digging a bit further into the word and we find in 2 Kings chapter 14 that God had previously sent Jonah out on a mission to prophesy to the king Jeroboam there in the 8th century. And so we know at least from reading 2 Kings that, that God and Jonah, they are not strangers. They knew each other. There was some previous relationship. And outside of not getting a bunch of biographical information about Jonah, we we realize quickly that this book of Jonah is not a normal prophetic book. It's written in a narrative style. In fact, when you get to the end of the fourth chapter, you know a lot more about Jonah than you actually do about that prophecy. There is one single line in the entire four chapters of what God actually told Jonah to say. Eight words in English translations, five words in Hebrew. And so Jonah is not your typical prophetic book. Not only that, Jonah is an interesting book because if you've read it before or if you've watched VeggieTales before, you know there's some stuff in Jonah that doesn't quite add up. And so scholars have long debated whether Jonah is history or allegory or mythology. For our time together today, I want to ask you to read the book of Jonah in at least three ways. First, I'm going to ask you to read it historically. Jonah was a historical figure. He actually existed in space and time and in history. He's a real person. But I also want us to read jo- Jonah uh, parabolically. Th- th- there's this, uh, this earthly story, this story of a real man, and something about Jonah's life is intended to teach us a much bigger lesson about God. But I also think Jonah is in some way uh, midrashic. It's that early Jewish teaching that the rabbis would, the rabbis would take an actual scriptural text And they would add to it and expound as a way of teaching people, and they would use elements of exaggeration and hyperbole. But behind that exaggeration was the intent of teaching a moral principle. And so I want to ask us to read Jonah in that way, historical, parabolic, and midrashic all at the same time, and look to chapter 1 of the book of Jonah and rehearse the story together again. In chapter 1 of the book of Jonah, God calls Jonah— And Jonah does a strange thing. Jonah runs away from God. Book of Jonah chapter one says that God comes to him and tells him, go to the city Nineveh and preach to him because their wickedness has risen up before me and I cannot ignore it anymore. Jonah hears that call that God has given him to go to Nineveh and Jonah does something strange. He runs in the opposite direction. God's call to Jonah was to go to Nineveh, which would have been about 500 miles from the place near Nazareth where he lived. But he, he, he runs in the opposite direction, 2,500 miles towards a place called Tarshish. Jonah jumps on a ship. He hears the call from God. He jumps on the ship. He says, God, thank you, but no thank you. And he runs away. Chapter 1, verse 4 tells us that the Lord sent a great wind causing a violent storm to come about. The crew, through a series of events, realizes that Jonah is the cause of this storm, and at his request, they toss Jonah overboard. Verse 17 is the verse that most of us know from the book of Jonah, says that the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. For most people, we stop reading right there. This is a fairy tale in most of our many people's opinions. Here's what I believe. If we truly believe that God created the heavens and the earth, this can't be the one thing that we believe he can't do. God provides a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah sits in the belly of the big fish for three days. Chapter two picks up with Jonah inside the belly of a fish. And Jonah, because he knows God in some way, lifts up a prayer there from the belly of that fish. And here's what Jonah says. Jonah chapter two, beginning with verse number two. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. And deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths. And to the very heart of the seas and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep waters surrounded me. Seaweed has wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth barred me Jonah cries out to God in this way, from the belly of the fish. verse 10 of chapter 2 tells us that at the Lord's command, the fish spits Jonah out after three days in a watery grave. In chapter 3, we see Jonah getting a second chance. God again calls Jonah and tells him again to go to the Ninevites. And when he sends him to the Ninevites, you expect that they would reject the message. Jonah hated them, and he was in some strange way hoping that they would reject the message. But verse 5 of chapter 3 tells us that the Ninevites actually heard the message, and they believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and all of them, from the king to the lowliest citizen, put on sackcloth and ashes as a way of honoring God. Verse 8 says this. These are the words of the king. Let everyone call upon God urgently. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Verse 9. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So Jonah goes, prophesies, and the people respond by repenting. Now, I I like to put myself in the scriptures sometimes. And so I imagine that if I were Jonah and God had sent me to a vast city to prophesy and the people responded to the prophecy and repented, that I would be excited. I would plant the first covenant church of Nineveh. Many of you would be invited to come with me as my core group and we would live out our faith in Jesus there in Nineveh. But Jonah does not respond that way. Jonah responds by becoming furious at God. Verse one of chapter four says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord saying this, isn't this what I prayed Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it would be better for me to die than to live. Jonah disobeyed God. He ran away from God. He resisted God. He became angry at God. He even begged God to take his life. And he did all of that, my brothers and sisters, because Jonah did not trust God's judgment. At the root of all of Jonah's beliefs, of all of his actions was this belief that he somehow knew better than God what God should do. You see, Jonah hated the Ninevites. They were pagans who worshiped many different gods. Not only that, they were military savages. They were known for uh, ripping people's limbs off. They were known for tearing off parts of people's faces. They would cover their city walls in human skin. They were enemies of the Jews and Jonah hated them. Yet somehow, here we are, God is calling Jonah to go to those same savages, And he says to him, arise, go, preach. Jonah says, I know, thank you, God. Because if I do, I know you're going to have compassion on them. The book of Jonah comes to an end here in chapter four in a starkly contrasted way. How do we last see Jonah? Sitting outside the city, sulking, angry at God, Begging God to take his life. And how do we last see God? Right there with Jonah. Still graciously reaching out to him. Still trying to help Jonah understand his character. Still inviting Jonah to trust and to follow. Jonah's life if we will let it today, sanctuary, offers up some wisdom for us as we stand in our threshold moment. And the most basic and straightforward wisdom that I can offer you today as we begin this journey together is simply this, trust God. Maybe you're a scholar and you need to hear it in Greek or Hebrew. Trust God. <laughs> Maybe you're from the city and you need to hear it in a slang kind of way, trust God, B. (laughs) Maybe you're a hipster, skinny jeans, beard combs, good coffee, whatever it is, and you want to hear it in your own language, here it is, trust God. No matter if you're a soccer mom or a recovering missionary Baptist like me, (laughs) the message is simply this, trust God sanctuary, there will be no shortage of things to keep in mind in this season, but I would argue that nothing is more crucial to our thriving than simply being willing to trust God. You know, my heart heart breaks for Jonah because Jonah was simply unable to come to a place of fully trusting God. And my heart breaks for Jonah because when I look at Jonah, I see myself. And then I look back at Jonah and my heart breaks all over again because I see your faces as well. We fight daily and struggle from what that great prophet, Doc McStuffins, would call knowing too much yitis. Brothers and sisters, my encouragement to us is to learn to trust where God is leading us. We don't know if Jonah ever got a do-over. But I believe Jonah is speaking to us and giving us a warning today, an encouragement today to trust God. And here's what we can learn very clearly from watching Jonah's life. The first thing we learn is that trusting God is more than simply knowing about God. Jonah knew God. Think about his calling in chapter 1. God calls him by name and sends him away to to prophesy. Think about the confession that Jonah makes in chapter one and verse nine. He says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Think about that great prayer Jonah prayed in chapter two. This was not a guy who was a stranger to God. Jonah knew God, but he did not trust God. Because trusting is more than simply knowing about who God is. Not only that, trusting God is more than simply obeying God. Jonah heard the call, ran from the call. He experienced grace. He heard the call again, and this time he says, okay, I'll go. But he goes without compassion. Nineveh was a city. It would take about three days to travel through the entire city. Jonah goes about a third of the way in. He doesn't call a special gathering. He says eight words in the English language, five in the the original language. He says, in 40 days, destruction is coming. And that's all the scriptures tell us that Jonah says. Jonah did what I used to do as a kid when my grandmother would tell me to do something and I didn't want to do it. I would do it because she was grandma, but I would be rebellious the entire way of doing it. And that's what Jonah does here. Jonah does what we too often do. He went through the actions, but his heart was not in it. In Sanctuary... In this threshold season, God is calling us to connect to his heart. It's not enough just to do good things. God is calling us to connect to his heart, to discover his passions, and to realign our passions to match his. God is calling us to connect to his heart, to understand his purposes and his motivations, and then to realign our own purposes and motivations to match. God is calling us in this threshold season into deeper fellowship. So trusting God is more than knowing about God. Trusting God is more than simply obeying God. Trusting God, as I told you in the beginning, is about following God. And if you're here today and you have no clue what it means to begin to actually follow, I want to offer up a few things for us to try over the last, the next few weeks. It's a little formula, and I don't normally like formulas, but I want to give us something to actually do together. Over the course of this series, I'm going to invite us that we would every day pray, study the word, and live each day as if a few things about God are true. What does it look like for us to pray as if God is trustworthy and true. What does it look like for us to study the word as if God is trustworthy and true and to live every day as if God is trustworthy and true? What would it look like for us to pray as if God is good and what God wants for us is actually what's best for us? How would our lives be transformed if we studied the word as if God is good and what God actually wants is what's best for us? How would our hearts be transformed if we prayed and studied and lived as if God has given us gifts, talents, and treasures for the purpose of serving others. And so this is not just your casual church invitation. I actually want us every day over the course of this series to begin to pray, study, and live in these ways. Pull out your, your device, take a picture, whatever you need to do. I want to invite us to allow God to transform us by praying, studying, and living in those ways. And as we do that, I believe that our hearts would begin to be transformed, that our families and our friendships would begin to be transformed. We can't even begin to talk about transformation in North Minneapolis if we're not willing to be transformed ourselves. Pray, study the word, live each day as if God is trustworthy and true, as if God is good and what God wants for us is what's best for us, as if God has given us talents and gifts and treasures to serve others. Brothers and sisters, as we begin this journey together, I want to invite us to trust God Learn to follow where He is leading us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, I am grateful for the way that you lead, that you don't force us along, but that you are always inviting us to come, taste, and see that you are good. And so, God, as we begin this season, this threshold season together here at Sanctuary Covenant, I ask, God, that you would continue to hear our cry, to turn your ear toward us and to invite us into a loving relationship with you. Father, for some folks in this room, that would be to begin to offer our lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And God, I pray that prayer for any brother and sister in this room who needs it. Lord, for others of us, it's to believe again that you are able to save and that you've already saved us and called us to good works. God, together, we need to see your glory in this season. And so God, I pray that as we, as a church, begin to, to pray, to study, and live in light of all these three realities of who you are, I pray, God, that you would meet us there. Lord, your people, you've said, would never be put to shame, those of us who believe in you. And so we're stepping out on faith and ask you to meet us in that step. Father, we love you. We need you. And we're excited to see what you're going to do. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.